Are you interested in learning more about how EOS can help you run a better business, become a better leader, and live a better life? Stay tuned for more on all the ways you can level up on your journey to EOS Mastery. What we end up finding out when we start to investigating this idea of freeing our true selves is we start to understand that our egos in the way, oftentimes, many of us have a suit of armor on and, and nobody can get in it. We're just deflecting all day long. But when we start to take that suit of armor off, little by little, the weight starts to come off. And then you, you start to feel free. In other words, the things that happened to you in the past, you don't have to be ashamed of those things anymore. You, you can just let them be free. They're, they're just circumstances. Welcome to the Rocket Fuel Podcast, where visionary and integrator duos from entrepreneurial companies share a behind-the-scenes look at their relationship. These amazing leaders blend their unique skills to create Rocket Fuel. I'm your host, Mark C. Winters, co-author of Rocket Fuel and an expert EOS implementer. Today, it is my pleasure to be talking with Rob Dubay, a speaker, author, and thriving entrepreneur who founded one of Forbes' top 25 small business companies, along with several others. Rob's work centers on helping entrepreneurs live mindful, impactful, and fulfilling lives. In this episode, we're taking a different approach and get to talk about the mindset a good leader needs to grow. And you start that by getting on the inside of your business. Rob touches on the tools and challenges of practicing mindfulness through his own journey and the ways it impacted his partnerships. We're starting the show with Rob diving into the intersection of soul and leadership as a framework for entrepreneurs. Here we go. I think as entrepreneurs, we enter into this very unique space. There are many of us when you think about it, and we have a very unique opportunity. It's actually an honor to do what we do because we're people who change the world in many different ways. I don't have to say what all the ways are, but it could be our products. It could be our services. It could be how we impact our people, no matter what the size of our business. And so the question is, how well are we in tune with ourselves so we could show up best in the world? And being entrepreneurs, we have that unique opportunity to make a big difference. doesn't matter what your products and services are. I mean, my first business, which I still own, is a managed print services business. We sell copiers and laser printers and multifunction printers. I don't think we're changing the world in, through our products, but it's through our interactions with the people that are on our team and the people that we work with that make a big difference. As the entrepreneur, as the leader within an organization, we have to be very in tune inside so we can be more aware of how we show up. So that's where I, you might say soul and leadership intersects. Yeah. So let's talk about that. As you know, our listeners know, I'm a huge fan of the entrepreneur because I believe that they impact, just as you described, so many things, whether it's the, the community they play in, whether it's the people in the organization, it's like this big ripple that they send out into the world. And so bringing that back into the soul of the leader, the soul of the entrepreneur, what does it mean to be in tune? You must know thyself <laughs> and understand that you are on a life's journey and you may never truly figure it out, and that's perfectly okay. 
So know thyself, like so many things we talk about, it sounds very simple, but I'm sure it's not easy. In fact, I know it's not easy. So how do we approach that? How do we begin the journey to, to know ourselves? Well, everybody has to figure out where the right starting place is for themselves. So for some, it might be as simple of things that I would imagine your audience has some familiarity with already, but you might even do a Colby or something along those lines that help give you a little bit more insight into who you are and your mode of operation. That's kind of like the dipping the toe piece to it. So you could start there. You might go out to the people closest to you in your life and you might ask them, what are my strengths and my weaknesses in this life? And it can be quite insightful. You know, if you want to keep going, you might start going into areas of personal talk therapy or something along those lines. Sure. So Colby, in case somebody doesn't know, that's basically a a tool to help you understand yourself by taking a series of questions and then they sort of give you a a pattern that can explain to you what that means and how you relate to yourself and the world. I get asking other people how they see us. Talk therapy, what does talk therapy mean? It's a very unique thing that's more common these days than it ever was before. And this is a unique relationship that you have with a licensed therapist or psychotherapist who you can go share what's going on in that mind of yours. Because <laughs> I would imagine, right. especially if you're an entrepreneur, there's a lot going on up there. Right. And so you can, you can keep that at a very surface level, like what's going on today and why am I showing up the way I am? And how can I find a little bit of peace in my day-to-day life? Or you can go and start to investigate maybe some of the things that some of your life experiences that have shaped the way you are today that may help you come to terms with and maybe put closure on some of the things that were painful in your life if you had any of those things. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. You and I are both blessed to be friends with a little guy named Gino Wickman. And I know you and he have your journey that's going on together. He and I have a journey that's, that's yes. going on. And so he'll send me books every once in a while. And he's like, hey, Mark, you got to read this and see what you think. And so there's some things that I've read that sort of talk to me about my past and looking at things that I maybe don't understand or don't realize how I'm interpreting them or using them. My interpretation, it's kind of scary stuff. You know, it's uncomfortable stuff. And just open and honest on a, on a surface level, I've been very fortunate. I've had a very blessed life in, in many ways. Great parents, great family, grew up in a, in a world that didn't have a tremendous amount of what I would consider hardship. And there's probably a little voice in my head that says, ooh, do I really want to dig around back there? And candidly, I might be a little bit afraid of what I might find. So Maybe I'm the only one that's like that. Maybe there's other people out there that are like that. But if you have sort of a fear of opening that box, how should I think about that? It's in there and it's affecting you and those around you in a thousand ways every day that you don't even realize. And so there's such freedom when you let it out. There's nothing to be afraid of, especially if you're being guided by a professional. And so for those listening that may have some things that maybe are at the forefront, they're very aware of what they are, you know, I highly, highly recommend go to a professional and work through it in that way. For others, they're 
on a self-study journey. You know, they, right. they work through things through books that they read, or nowadays you can, you know, just watch videos on YouTube. You can do workshops online, etc. There's all kinds of things that you can do to better tap into your inside. And I always say it's the most rewarding journey that you ever take because once you let those things surface and let them free, you are now free and you will have a more a life with more ease. Yeah. So in your most recent book, The 10 Disciplines for Maximizing Your Energy, you talk about entrepreneurs who have made it to the top of the mountain, but that they still feel there's something more, there's something missing. And so maybe talking about that journey, talking about the top of that mountain, what can you share about your yeah. personal story, your personal journey in that direction? For me, and, and we always like to encourage people, and this is an exercise that people can take away from our chat today, is maybe take 10, 15 minutes at some point in the next day or so and write your inner story. So I'll share a quick outer story, and then I'll share an inner story. Okay. So my outer story is I was an entrepreneur since I was 14. I started selling blow pop lollipops out of my locker with my best friend. The two of us had businesses all through high school and college, were unemployable. By the way, everyone listening, you've had some story like that and you're just like me. I get it. All right. So we're, we're the same, okay? And the two of us started this business after college and all I could think about is, boy, one day I had a business that did a million dollars in sales, I will have made it. Well, sure enough, we had a million dollars in sales, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> now I wanted to have five million, and then it was five million, and that wasn't enough. And you know how it goes, everybody. <laughs> That's how it goes. It seems to never end. In 2004, we sold the business. We had a nice exit. 18 months later, dumb luck. They gave it back to us. So then we had the company back and we put a lot of focus on our culture. And as you mentioned, we've been recognized for that. And now I'm in the owner's box and I'm not running the company and my business partner's not running the company anymore. We have somebody who's running it and that's an outer story. From the outside, it's been successful. It wasn't always easy and still isn't, but it's been successful. The inner story for me was at the age of eight, my parents were divorced. It began a whole series of events that included mental, physical, and sexual abuse in different areas of my life. And that showed up in different ways. Like when I was in high school, I always used to say, I can't wait to be an adult. Mm -hmm. Couldn't come soon enough for me. And then running a business with my best friend and how all this stuff would show up in our partnership. And then as we had employees, how it showed up as I led people, how it showed up in my marriage. I got married early. We had children early. And how is that showing up in our relationship? And just really having to put a focus on those things that I had happened to me in my life, addressing them so I could come to terms with them and set them free and show up better in my marriage, in my business partnerships, and as a leader, because I knew I was having an impact on many people as a result of the position that I put myself in as an entrepreneur. So did you realize that stuff was there or, or did you repress some of it and then it came out later in terms of your awareness of it? 
I think, you know, in my 20s, I recognized intuitively that something did not feel right and I did not like the feeling of it. And so I had an intuition about that and an intuition around what can I do to get help about for this. Back then, therapy was not as common, I guess, as you might say it is today. But I was searching, and so I was asking a lot of people, do you have any ideas or thoughts for ways I can try to find some calmness in my mind? And so how did you ask that question? Who, who did you feel comfortable enough to ask, and how did you ask? I had people in my life, one of them being Joel, my business partner at the right. time, and still is, at Image One, and actually his parents were really impactful for me growing up. So those were two places that I was able to be vulnerable. They were helpful in just giving me ideas of ways that I might be able to address some of the ways I was feeling. And so there wasn't, if I'm understanding you, you correctly, there wasn't like a, a trigger event or something that sort of brought this to your attention. It was just a, it was a general feeling. You just had an intuition that something wasn't right. And yeah. then intuitively, you just began to talk to people you really trusted and yeah. then act on what they told you? Exactly. I just felt like I had an edge all the time. So what was the first thing that really uh, moved you forward? Well, I think talk therapy was really useful for okay. me. That was for sure the first thing. And then I went from there and I was continued to search, still looking for a sense of peace and ease in my life. For me, one of the things that really connected with me was meditation. Okay. So I began meditating and I noticed that it was having a positive effect on the way my body felt and the way my mind was acting. Yeah. So let's dive into meditation a little bit because I know you've done that for a long, long time. A lot of people hear about, think about meditation. It just either, or maybe it doesn't get on their radar, maybe it does get on their radar, but they never really make it a daily habit. They really never incorporate it into their into their program in any way that sort of sticks. What gets in the way? How could somebody maybe solve that riddle so that they could experience the benefits that, that you feel come from meditation? Yeah. Well, the first thing I always like to share with people, because I'm a teacher now, and the first thing I always like to I share with people- I love that, by the way. That's just, that's perfect. But it, you know, it might not be your thing. So I know I, a lot of times people say to me, I really need to meditate. I know I should be doing it. And I always say, maybe you shouldn't be, honestly. Like, take the pressure off. Maybe you shouldn't be. I do, and I, I encourage people to, what we like to say in our 10 disciplines is to be still. And so what I like to ask people is, why is it hard for you to be still, whether that be in meditation or journaling or contemplation or prayer or anything else that one might be able to think about? Why is it hard for you to slow down for 20 or 30 minutes every day? I'm busy. I have a busy life. I, once I sit down, all I start thinking about are all the things I need to do. And that makes sense. And what I like to share around that is that's a message for you. And see, so you see this, the, the, the moment you sit down, what happens is the floodgates open. And all the things that you say, you know, are repressed. And some of them are, if you were to sort of think of your torso as at the top, 
those are the things that aren't as suppressed. And at the bottom, things are more suppressed, just to use that as a visual. And what's the first things that come out of the floodgate are just the conversation you had with your team member and how that was irritating. And you're going to just ruminate on that for five minutes. And that's going to be really annoying. And you don't really want to think about it. So it's easier to be busy than to actually sit there and be with it. And when that whole process sort of relieves itself, the next level starts coming up. And those are also things that you oftentimes don't really want to address. So I think oftentimes, intuitively, we don't want to be still because we know it may be painful for us to do that. There's a great quote I always like to share from Anne Lamont. She says, my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I try to never go there alone. (laughs) And I always like to ask people, is that maybe why it's difficult for you to be still? As it relates to meditation in my own experience and others that are regular practitioners, is that it allows for us to first, uh, these these areas of suppression or just whatever's going on in our minds, we, we allow that, those thoughts and ideas and all those kinds of things to just be. And you might just let them go, float, float like clouds in the sky or waves you know, washing in and washing back out. So we don't attach to them. We practice that. We practice not having judgment on it. We practice not solving any of these things that are coming up for us. There's nothing to solve in this moment. We're just noticing them. And that's, there's um, a real benefit to just noticing and and allowing them to be as they are. And then through the practice of coming to your breath, which is essentially an anchor. Some people use a mantra. Uh, I happen to use a breath and it's, it's an anchor to the present moment. Because if you really think about it, that's all you have is this moment. So for example, Mark, you and I are talking right now. And we're connected through this technology, which for me at my age is still mind-blowing, that I can (laughs) see you and talk to you and see your energy and feel your energy. But it's all we have right now. But we know later we have some other things that we must have going on, and they probably seem somewhat important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the reality is that this is all we really have at this very moment. And so the more that we can realize that what happened in the past or what we think is going to happen in the future, those things aren't actually happening right now. The past is over, nothing we can do about it. And the future is just what we believe is going to happen. And it's not here yet. So for example, I might have something planned for two o'clock and you and I finish this up. And I think two o'clock, I got to be ready, et cetera. And something might happen in my life and that may not happen at two o'clock. They might cancel. Something might happen to me that, you know, means I can't be what I imagined was going to be. And so just coming to the present moment, being able to be fully present is really what we're practicing. We're meditating. I love that. The perspective on the, the present, thinking differently about both the past and the future. I'm reminded of who Derek Sivers is. Yes. Okay. So Derek wrote a, a blog post the other day that I read, which basically said the past is a lie. And, and he told a story about an experience he had when he was younger 
where he felt really awful about what had happened and felt his fault and you know, guilt and all the stuff that goes with that. And many, many years passed. And so he goes to basically reconcile with this person who he felt he had wronged. And when he has the encounter, what he learns is her perspective was basically that she was the one at fault. She had the guilt and she released him from that. And it was really, really cool story. And, and so it's all the spin we put on it. It's all the stuff, the interpretation, the lens that we see it through, the filter that we put it through. It's just practice. And, and we get to write the story. We get to write our story with intention around what it is and what it means and bring that yeah. into the present in some useful way, hopefully. Vivid Performance Group helps create employees, teams, and leaders who work better together. It's time to call Vivid Performance Group when you're struggling to hire and retain top talent, when you need to select your up-and-coming leaders, when your teams need to be re-engaged, refocused, redesigned, or relaunched. It's also time for Vivid Performance Group when you need to intervene in an employee's problem behavior or when individuals or teams are in conflict and your in-house resolution attempts haven't been successful. Visit vividperformancegroup.com for more info. Question about technology. And so maybe this doesn't apply, but I'm curious. Neurofeedback. So, so programs where I've played with like a, a muse headband yes. where you, you try to make the, the birds show up or go away or, or whatever, right? By controlling how you think. Does that fit into this? If so, how? My feeling about tools like that is, and of course, entrepreneurs love them because they want to make the birds come. <laughs> right. They're driven. I'm going to get those birds to come. Right. So if you're utilizing it for a short-term practice to help yourself understand maybe the feeling or the recognition of what you need to do to get to the get the birds coming. And then maybe after a month, it's time to put it away for good. Okay. Is that's my feeling on it because the technology, both things like the neurofeedback technology as well as the apps, what ends up happening is we're subconsciously gaming this. Mm. So we're entertaining ourselves at the mm -hmm. end of the day is what's ending up happening. So here's an example. I know people, they'll say, yes, I'm using the app. And I've realized that there are certain guides on the app that are guiding you through the meditation. And I don't like their voices, but I found a couple of voices that I do like. And so those are the only ones I'll listen to. And so we're judging even our meditation practice and what right. we're hearing and how we're learning. And we only like a certain voice, but we don't like that voice. And I always like to bring it back to use the technology to learn how to do it. Once you know how to do it and that you shouldn't need more than 30 days, and that's probably even too much, then it's time to put it away. And I know that's not good for the app and the neurofeedback businesses. And I want to see them be successful, but I do think there's a time to put that away and just practice on your own because that's the beauty of it is, is actually sitting alone with your thoughts and being able to recognize what's going on up there, being able to let them go, bringing yourself back to the present moment. Because then when you go into your everyday life and your interactions, you are more capable 
of pausing, as they say, in that moment between stimulus and response right. and showing up in a much better way for yourself first. And then as that translates to those around you, so you might, a stimulus might be somebody just said something that triggers you in your meeting. And now you're ruminating on it as you continue to work through the issue. Right. But you're just ruminating on the way you just got treated. Right. But through a meditation practice, how you bring that into your life is you allow that to go by like clouds in the sky. It, you don't allow it to stay with you because it's just words. So you just turned a phrase there. You allow them to go by like clouds in the sky. Is that an intentional phrase that you've used or do you just land on that? Yes. Well, some people, that's, that helps them with a visualization. Right. Go by like clouds in the sky or sometimes people like the um, visualization of the waves in the ocean. I love the connection to the, the space between stimulus and response. You also referenced the term driven. And I know that's really the entrepreneurs that you're speaking to. So maybe crack that open a little bit. What does that mean? A few things. As entrepreneurs, it's most likely you are driven, which means you are in uh, a small minority of the overall population. Uh, I think it's somewhere around 10%. So if there's 8 billion people on this planet, there's 800 million that are driven, that are really making big differences in this world. And there's a great book. You don't necessarily have to run out and get it, but it's called Driven by Doug Brackman. And he shares that we all have this D2, D4 gene. And for the driven, the D2, D4 gene essentially shows up in a different way. And it fires in a way for this 10% in that it's never enough for us. <laughs> we have this endless energy and this endless pursuit for more. It can mean anything, by the way, not just in entrepreneurship, but we're just constantly going and learning more, doing more, and wanting to get to next levels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we burn the people out around us. They can't keep up with us. So we normalize right. this idea that we're driven. And so what do we do with this driven piece of who we are? Well, we build companies and try to maybe make a little difference in the world. And with this driven energy, we're able to use that 10x. It's very outside driven. We're climbing this mountain. We're trying to 10x. But oftentimes it, it comes with a lot of angst and uh, a lack of peace. And uh, Gino, who you mentioned earlier, we talk about this idea that you can be driven and have peace. It is possible, but it takes going, into the, going inside to do that. Very, very cool. So I, maybe that leads me to this, but the concept of true self, what, tell us what that means. <laughs> That's when you're free. That's when you're free and you are fully you every moment. I always like to share this thought for people to consider. And that was, that is <clears throat> when you were born and you came out of the womb, you were your true self. Nothing got a hold of you. But not too soon after, the world did start to get a hold of you and started to create a certain structure in your life and mental constructs. And so you, you went from being your true self to being a lot of pieces of a lot of things, whether it be those who are, who are having the closest impact to you 
to the society that you're a part of. And so then by the time you get older, you've sort of integrated into all of that. And in many ways, you've lost yourself. And there are many people in this world that have investigated this deeper in all kinds of ways, whether it be religious or spiritual or philosophy. So anybody can kind of find their way and what resonates with them. But our true self is in here and we can free it by understanding that all we have is this moment. I know I'm coming back to what I said earlier, but by knowing that, we are free of all these other things that are coming at us, all these constant inputs and all of these things that we think we need to do or show up or accomplish. What we do when we start to get into that place of being fully in the moment, the present moment, being fully ourselves, is we end up making decisions from love and not fear. So love is from our heart and fear is from our ego. Mm. And our ego isn't a bad thing, so I just want to say that, but it can show up in a way that isn't always healthy. And so it's good to be aware of that. And so what we end up finding out when we start to investigating this idea of freeing our true selves is we start to understand that our egos in the way, oftentimes, many of us have a suit of armor on and, and nobody can get in it. We're just deflecting all day long. But when we start to take that suit of armor off, little by little, the weight starts to come off. And then you, you start to feel free. In other words, the things that happened to you in the past, you don't have to be ashamed of those things anymore. You, you can just let them be free. They're, they're just circumstances. And so we can look at these things through a new lens. And just that's fully me. I mean, those were my life circumstances, but I am where I am at this moment with you right now. And I'm showing up with love, gratitude, and appreciation. And so if we can look at every moment in that way, even when things are hard, because that's what life is. I mean, life is full of suffering and joy. We don't want the suffering. We just want the joy. So we're always running after the joy and trying to push away the suffering. But when we understand that that's just life, it's suffering and joy. It's just what's happening in this moment and how we are receiving what is happening to us. So let's use it in a leadership context. So we have something that goes on at our company. Somebody leaves the company. We're so mad at them. How could they leave our company? They were a key person at my company. I treated them so well. I gave them bonuses. I helped their family when their kid was sick, this and that. And you get this whole thing going up and you're suffering so much. You don't have to. You don't have to. A person has a hold on you. Their hooks are in you, as, as uh, David Hawkins in the book, Let and Go, likes to say. Their hooks are in you. You don't have to react that way. You can pause. You can wish that person all the best in life and know and have confidence and come from love that a new person will show themselves and, it, and it'll probably be even better for you, honestly. Mm. Mm. No, so, so great, right? Do we give our power away to the world and all these other people that have their hooks in us or do we right. hold it and choose how we give it, right? Very, very good. So. 
When you think back, you've been doing this entrepreneurial thing for a while, and I want to come back to your audience is really, it's visionaries, it's integrators, and it's those that care about or are really interested in visionaries and integrators. And so when you look back on your career, what, what would you kind of single out as maybe the biggest challenge you had to overcome along the way? And how'd you do it? I'll start with Image One, the company that I founded with my best friend, Joel, that I mentioned right. earlier, and was our relationship. We were best of friends. We were brothers by another mother, as they say. Right. And it was all fun in high school and college. But when we became adults in the quote unquote, we had oh, to be wow. responsible now for ourselves and had to make business decisions together. And as, as our lives evolved and we had different circumstances in our lives and the business would need to maybe support some of these circumstances, that was the biggest challenge constantly. And so to Rocket Fuel, it was understanding where did we fit in this business? EOS was the first thing that really helped us get control. It took eight years until we until EOS came into Image One's world. And then all of a sudden we went, wow, okay. It like felt organized all of a sudden and all the reasons why EOS does that. And understanding this idea of visionary integrate and taking our egos out of it. And for me, it was recognizing that Joel was, he had a thousand ideas all the time. And so he was visionary. And I was integrator. And so just having, and I love the visionary integrator terms, by the way, because it took away the CEO, president. There was something about that at that time that worked well for me. It was my ego. Somehow that worked well for me. I was proud of it, actually. And that wonderful mix of the two of us, being able to build the business from there, I felt created peace for me, actually in getting out of each other's way and saying, okay, he's visionary and being able to call, being able to say to him, Joel, you shouldn't be over here. You ought to be out there doing this, that, and this. He would say, yeah, you're right. I do need to be doing this. I'm visionary for this company. And if we're going in that direction, these are the things that I need to be doing. And same thing for me. And so it was just so powerful. It really helped us get through what was really, to me, the biggest struggle because I love Joel so much and I just wanted to have a regular relationship like we used to have with right. together. But <laughs> business was, always seemed to be getting in the way. You start to miss your friend. I did. I missed my friends so much. I, I felt like I lost something. That's, that's so real. I love that. So you've got the whole experience with Image One. Now you're in the owner's box for Image One. Right. Now you've got the stuff that's going on with the 10 disciplines and you're the visionary. Yes. So, so talk to me about that. So moving from the integrator seat over here and now playing in the visionary seat in, in this company, how is that different? How does that work? Is that something somebody else who's an integrator out there, should they think that's a possibility for them? What can you share about that? So what I feel I've learned about myself is that I have an ability to be at a high, up in a high level, like up in the clouds and see dots that can connect the businesses. So I felt 
very capable of doing that with image one. In fact, oftentimes I felt like that was something I brought that maybe was harder for Joel. I see that as we work through the 10 disciplines, I see many dots and how they can come together in a way that makes sense for the business model. A lot of the integrator functions, I actually feel drained when I do them. So they're not exciting for me. You know, I really didn't love overseeing the key components of the business, the sales, the operations, and the finance. I, I really didn't get a lot of energy from that. I hate holding people accountable. Uh, I can't stand it. I do have a high level of accountability that I put on myself. So I feel like I always need to do what I say. So I might be working outside of my natural, my natural way of being is just through training over the years is, is what I imagine might be going on. So, and the other thing I'll say is bigger relationships. I was always handling bigger relationships at Image One. And I feel the same way with the 10 disciplines. I'm very focused on keeping strong relationships that could maybe down the line be very useful on both sides for the business. And that's a little bit of the dot connecting as far as how I see right. it. Culture is the last thing I'll say. And I, don't, I always wondered where does that fit 100%. Culture was like at Image One, that was my, I was so focused on that. I, that got me flying out of bed in the morning our values, how were we differentiating ourselves with our people? You know, how could we make an impact in their lives, both personally and professionally? And so that was something I was just always on the soapbox with. And I loved talking about it with the company and outside of the company, et cetera. And 10 Disciplines is a startup, so we only have a few people, but I feel very similar in that regard. So that, that's my brain dump on the visionary integrator and how it's showing up for me right now with the 10 disciplines. I love that. So a lot of the things you said really, really check visionary boxes, particularly how you felt in the integrator role. Yeah, you can do it. And, and so many of our leaders, they can do it. It just requires more energy to do those things that maybe aren't instinctive for them, but they, through the survival of the journey they've gone through to got there, they've had to get really good at them. But the things that you instinctively do, intuitively do, that don't require as much energy, that a lot of those things sounded, sounded very, very visionary in nature. And then, of course, we talk about something called the three-piece puzzle, which looks at how the visionary and the integrator duo. So those assessments that you took, hopefully you, you use those to look at how you and, and Joel work together and where there was yes. overlap and conflict. And, and they talk about that and get clear on it so that you're not bumping into each other in places that you just don't need to, but getting clear. And then thinking about how much that particular business needs from a visionary and from an integrator, right? And what's really cool to, to hear and kind of watch is, is you doing what you needed to do, figuring out the right relationship between you and your partner as business owners to make it best you could with what you got, which has been great, right? You guys have done amazing things. And then sort of graduate into the owner's box. And now you've got even more discretion in terms of how you spend that energy and very naturally shifting to a space now where it's something that really fits well with how you're wired and it's a, a passion for you. It's something you care deeply about. And again, as the entrepreneurs that we love do, you do these things, you have this sort of irresistible urge to go do them. And in, in doing that, you change the world. You have this huge impact that just goes in ripples and ripples and ripples. And now 
you're touching all these entrepreneurs and each of those entrepreneurs are making their ripple and it's just like this huge multiplier. And so I'm so excited for what you're doing. It's just, it's really fantastic. <laughs> it's a dream come true, honestly. And then you get to do do it with your buddy Gino. And so that's a whole, <laughs> whole other thing. You know, I mean, I'm sure there was a day way back when, when you first met and would you have ever dreamed from that day to here where you'd be, you'd be partners in, in a business like, like 10 Disciplines doing what you guys are doing? A little known fact is when Gino was just getting started, I was part of an industry group and he, and we had, had we mentioned to the group that we're doing this process. Uh, I don't even think it was called EOS then. I can't remember what he called it. And there was a lot of, oh, interest in it. And somebody at a certain point after a number of these industry meetings we had after a couple of years, somebody had mentioned to me, hey, would you come down? They were in Louisville and I was in Detroit, Michigan. And they said, would you come down and, and do essentially what would, would be a session, you know, mm -hmm. like a quarterly session or something like that? So I said to Gino, I, these, they want me to come down. I mean, I, do you want to go? And he said, no, I want you to go. I want you to go do it. Do you want to go do it? So I said, sure, I'll, I'll try it. I'll see. So I went down there. I did a session. I decided, I don't know if I'm made out for this. I need to stay focused on image one. What am I doing running off doing these or now these EOS quarterly sessions? So just little known fact, maybe that was the first time that we kind of intersected, like maybe you'll be in business sometime to, together. Right. And you fast forward all these years later. And yeah, it is pretty crazy though that yeah. it all kind of came full circle like that. Early implementer for a day. I get you right. I, I got to I got to think you would be great as an implementer. That's nice, but too nice. So Rob, I have so enjoyed this. Before we kind of wrap it up, if people want to learn more about 10 disciplines, they want to learn more about you, we'll put this in the show notes, but where yeah. should they go to do that? Just go to the 10disciplines.com and that will have everything that you need. the10disciplines.com. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for that. So again, my personal gratitude to you, my gratitude for our guests. I know that they've listened and, and heard. Our listeners have heard something that can help them move along their journey from wherever they are. So to them, thanks for listening. And if you like this episode of our podcast, please give it a, a review. That helps others find out about it. And we're just trying to do our little part to try to spread the message and things that we have learned and have helped us and hopefully help some other folks along the way. So Thanks again, Rob. I'm grateful to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening today. I really hope this episode inspired you to bring rocket fuel to your business. If you're interested in learning more about the free community for visionaries, integrators, and the people who support them, please visit rocketfueluniversity.com. Ready to make huge leaps on your journey toward EOS mastery and living your EOS life? Then join us at the 2024 EOS Conference in San Diego and accelerate your success on every level. Go to eosconference.com to register now.